welcome everybody to Health or Consequences. This is Commonwealth Magazine and Mass Inc.'s Healthcare Policy Podcast for Massachusetts. My name is John McDonough. I'm from the Harvard Chan School of Public Health in Boston, and I'm joined by my partner and co-host, Paul Haddis, formerly of the Tufts University School of Medicine. Welcome, Paul. Good to see you. Hi, John. Even, even though the world can't see us, I can see you. <laughs> and I can see our guest, David Seltz. Welcome, David. David Hello. is the first executive director and the only executive director of the Massachusetts Health Policy Commission. HPC is the first in the nation independent state government agency charged with bending the healthcare cost curve and providing data-driven policy recommendations regarding healthcare delivery and payment reform in Massachusetts. It is a star agency that other states are now looking at all over the country. How can we get one of those? So it's exciting to talk to David. Prior to this role, David was special advisor on healthcare for Governor Deval Patrick. And before that, for then Senate President Therese Murray. Uh, he advised on passage of the historic Massachusetts health reform law in 2006, and he was central to the landmark cost containment legislation, which passed in 2012 and created the Health Policy Commission. David is a graduate of Boston College, originally from Minnesota. He received Modern Healthcare's 2015 Up and Comer Award. I guess you're not up and coming anymore now, five <laughs> years later, which recognizes young executives making significant contributions to the areas of healthcare administration, management, and policy. So David, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We've been trying to get you on for a while and we're really thrilled to have you, so welcome. Thank you, yeah, John, John and Paul, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, really excited to, to be able to have this conversation and, and thank you to Commonwealth Magazine uh, and Mass Inc. as well. I think John and Paul, we had originally scheduled this podcast for, I believe, the second week in March. That's right. And uh, it was uh, really the, the world turned upside down. Um, and so happy uh, to, be, to be back with you virtually uh, on this podcast and to be able to engage in this conversation. Just really excited for it. Thank you. So we're thrilled to have you. And so could we just start out, can you just share a little bit about your background and how it was that you came to be the first and only executive director of the Mass Health Policy Commission? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I, I went to school in Boston College and have lived really in Boston ever since. And, and Boston, I, I believe in Massachusetts is my home. And I, I started, I got my first job out of college was in health policy as an analyst for the state legislature, uh, working on the healthcare uh, part of the state budget. And uh, yeah, I have to always credit uh, Therese Murray, who uh, took a chance on a Minnesota kid who did not know the difference between Medicare or Medicaid, um, but was willing to learn. Um, and so uh, changed my life in terms of the, my passion for healthcare policy and, and state level, um, you know, improvements in, in how we advance a reform agenda. Um, so I've, you know, been pleased and, and really honored to be a part of so many different uh, recent reforms. And, and you mentioned them, John, in the introduction, but really that the, the chapter fifth, the healthcare reform access law in 2006 um, was my first time I really got to see the power of coalition building 
uh, to really make an impactful difference in the lives of, of people. And, and, and what does it take to, to get legislation passed? And John, you were, uh, of course, such a big part of that effort. Um, but that really uh, changed my career in terms of what I was passionate about. And I think for me is, is the through line uh, to the Health Policy Commission, because you know, with that law, um, we made a promise uh, to the residents of, of the Commonwealth uh, a bipartisan promise from you know all different stakeholders around ensuring that everyone will have access to affordable health care. And the affordability part of that is a challenge and has always been a challenge in Massachusetts and continues to be a challenge. Um, but it's really kind of the one of the biggest motivating factors for the establishment of the Health Policy Commission is how how can Massachusetts over time, really fulfill that promise of, of having accessible, uh, equitable, and affordable healthcare. And so, oh, and given the, uh, when presented with the opportunity to uh, lead this organization at its beginning, and, and Paul, uh, you were one of the inaugural commissioners of the Health Policy Commission, um, uh, I, I saw this great opportunity to continue a, a tradition and a legacy that makes Massachusetts so special when it comes to healthcare. Great, thank you. So let's, let's jump way forward to today. And we know that the Health Policy Commission has been spending a significant amount of time trying to understand and get your arms around the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the Massachusetts healthcare system. Can you just kind of summarize for us, what have you learned? What has struck you? What is emerging in terms of the short, medium, long-term impact of what we're all still in the middle of right now. Yeah, I, this has been obviously, and, and I think the word unprecedented is probably thrown around, you know, 10 to 15 times a day. Um, and, uh, but this was truly a, a, an unprecedented disruption for everyone, uh, for every organization, um, but uh, the healthcare system uh, especially. Um, First, just, just from the Health Policy Commission standpoint, um, you know, we, when this all um, began in, in March as an agency, we really first said, how can we help the state? How can we help the governor and Secretary Sutters uh, in their response efforts? And like all state agencies, um, this was an all hands on deck response. And so, um, really proud of our ability to, to in a very small way, um, help and assist the, what I believe to be uh, truly extraordinary leadership of, of the secretary and the governor in the response and how we could bring our own data and, and um, resources to help the healthcare system ensure that it has the right capacity to meet the patient needs uh, during this, the surge in cases in the spring. And, and one of the uh, unfortunate but necessary strategies um, to ensure that uh, patients could be safely treated and for COVID and for other emergency needs was the suspension of uh, elective uh, non-emergent um, services and procedures in person. And that, of course, uh, results in a disruption not only to patient care and to patient access, um, but to the financial revenues and operations of, of all different parts of the healthcare system. So what we saw in, in March and April especially was a, a significant um, reduction in the utilization of healthcare services from across 
all different parts of, of the system from hospitals to physician offices to community health centers and, and dental practices. Um, but, uh, and I think one of the, uh, you know, kind of surprisingly um, positive impacts, uh, telehealth became a, a really important tool to fill in that gap for both patient access and for the ability of providers uh, to continue to see patients and be able to receive financial revenue. And so that was, uh, I think, a, a really crucial emergency order that the governor put forward to have um, expanded access and coverage and, and also payment uh, for all different modes of telehealth. And as we see the data, that has been crucial in being able to maintain um, some of the utilization in areas, especially behavioral health. We've, we've seen a, a pretty tremendous uptake in the use of, of telehealth for many different services, but behavioral health being one of them, and as we know, an area of, uh, of increased demand um, and importance always, but uh, especially during um, uh, this particular moment in time. Um, so what we've seen now is we're starting to see care returning uh, to those inpatient settings. We're starting to see utilization begin to re return to some baseline levels um, with the combination of, of telehealth there, um, but it's been slow. And I think uh, Massachusetts by, by many data points has been uh, in some cases slower to recover than other states. Uh, we were uh, hit harder than many other states at the very beginning of this epidemic. And you know, areas of, of concern that we're tracking, we still um, are seeing pediatric visits uh, that were, are below baseline. Um, and so uh, we need to see how utilization and how people's use of, of care in different settings uh, returns. But it's fair to say that um, all parts of the system have been impacted and, and the fallout will be uh, extensive over the next uh, year and, and, and probably longer, obviously not knowing when a vaccine will occur. David, let me wow. let me add my words of welcome, and, and, and I can say as an inaugural commissioner, with the most contributing and impactful vote I ever took was to make you, along with others, voting to make you our executive director. So I, I'm, I'm I'm happy we did that, and I'm also happy I'm sitting here today with you. Let me ask you something that builds a little bit off your your, your summary about what's happened in this era during COVID by. Um, getting into it this way, you know, if anybody knows anything about the Health Policy Commission in our state, it's tied to the concept of something called uh, it's, it's oversight or support of the, of the market and system to live under what's called the state cost growth benchmark or sort of a, a spending growth per person limit that was established back in 2012. For our podcast listeners, can you say first a few words uh, up through before pre-COVID, up through the end of 2019, how we've been doing more or less uh, against that benchmark. But I wonder if also too you would comment about, you know, you, as you just noted, the, the reduction in total spending, what the implication might be for the 2020 benchmark when you're sitting down, let's say late next year, looking at it and then, and then beyond. So thoughts about all of that, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the healthcare cost growth benchmark is a central organizing principle of our state's efforts to try and reduce the growth uh, in healthcare spending uh, to a more sustainable level year over year. So it is a target that is set by the Health Policy Commission, uh, most recently set at a 3.1% growth. And I always want to emphasize that we are still talking about 
a growing healthcare system and growing spending, um, but with growth that is um, uh, more in line with how everything else in the economy is growing. Uh, that is the theory, of course, and now we are in a moment of, of, of disruption, both of our economic uh, situation, but also in terms of what we can expect for healthcare spending. But before, um, um, before COVID, um, we have measured our performance against the benchmark for six years. And the data indicates that we, uh, and we, I mean Massachusetts, have had experienced um, some notable success in reducing the growth in healthcare spending. In four out of the six years, the state's growth in healthcare spending was below uh, the benchmark that was set. Uh, and on average, over across the six years, we've been below the benchmark. And I think more importantly is our comparison to the U.S. trends. Uh, what we've seen is that since 2012, our healthcare spending growth has been below comparable U.S. rates every single year uh, for the past eight years. And that is a significant reversal from the prior trend. If you look throughout the 2000s, healthcare spending and, and healthcare costs we're growing um, much faster here in Massachusetts than the rest of the country. So we do see a, a reversal in trends that um, I think speaks to not only uh, the benchmark, but around the entire culture uh, that wraps around the benchmark in terms of emphasis on affordability and cost savings. And um, when, you know, just as an example, when I, you think about the benchmark, it is a long-term strategy. I like to think about it sometimes like a mortgage. If you can shave a, a percent point or two off of you know, your interest or, or your annual rate on your mortgage, it, it may not save you a ton in one year, but that starts to compound and compound and compound. And pretty soon you're talking about real money. And that's what we've seen. If you compare just, uh, just in the kind of the employer sponsored health insurance space, so kind of private health insurance, our growth rate has been below the national average every year, as I mentioned. And if you added up the, all of the money that would, we would have spent if we had been at the U.S. growth rate, we would be, you would get to $7.2 billion more in healthcare spending that Massachusetts would have spent over the last couple of years. It's a lot of money. <laughs> this, this is money that um, would otherwise have been a burden on small businesses, on residents, on consumers, and on families. And I know it's hard to kind of quantify that because you're talking about an avoided uh, potential expense. Um, but that's just to show that if you can bend this cost curve, even a percent or two, um, you can really start to have a pretty big impact in terms of, of the resources that can be freed up um, for all of those in, important um, stakeholders. But the, the last point I'll make on this, uh, Paul, is and, and John, is that uh, even with that moderation in recent years, let's be clear. Healthcare is still very expensive in Massachusetts. By any measure, we are among the most expensive uh, states in the country. Uh, over $20,000 a year is the average cost of a family health insurance plan. Uh, that's basically the cost of a uh, Ford Focus every single year. Um, so it is important to remember that this is a, a long-term long strategy that is important uh, for um, for the affordability of care. And now, COVID, tell us about COVID and its impact for the benchmark for this year and, and your guys' work. So, so thank you, Paul. And, and COVID will, um, 
<laughs> we know have a big impact on healthcare spending in, in 2020. Um, I, I can foresee a scenario, and I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't have a crystal ball, but I could see us having a negative number um, uh, in, in terms of 2020 as a result of that uh, significant disruption in utilization um, during the, the spring and a kind of a, a, a slow return to that care. So when we're examining how uh, Massachusetts performs against the benchmark uh, next year and the year after, we're going to have to take into account and try to understand uh, how COVID really played into this. And I think that's an important um, point for thinking about the benchmark. The benchmark isn't, we don't live or die about whether we're below or above the benchmark. In some ways, the benchmark is a tool for being able to understand in a very data-driven way what is driving healthcare spending, where are those opportunities, and to be able to have a platform to do a deep dive. So I think that we will see, uh, you know, probably below benchmark spending in 2020. We could see greater spending in 2021, uh, given the return to care, uh, potential vaccination. Um, so as, as we do all of our work, it's really about uh, putting the data into the, the, the context of, of the reality, but then using that data and that platform to uh, surface those areas where uh, we want to uh, prioritize our policymaking efforts to continue the long-term plan of keeping healthcare cost growth down. David, in addition to COVID this year, issues of racial and social injustice have been at the forefront of all of our thinking. And the commission recently decided to make that a focus for part of its work here. Uh, what have you learned so far and where might some of this work take you? Um, this is really important. Uh, and, and I'm really proud um, of the work that we have done so far this summer, but there is a lot of work to be done. Um, the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on Black, Indigenous um, uh, people and people of color, I think combined with the national reckoning on police violence and murder has uh, appropriately and belatedly led to a lot of reflection um, from everyone on the historical role of, of racism uh, throughout society, but in our world, in, in healthcare and in, in health outcomes. Um, and as a healthcare organization, we felt it was important not to just have a moment of reflection, but a commitment to action. And so we, um, as you noted, Paul, um, advanced a, a new framework, a commitment to making equity a part of, a core part of our work and mission moving forward. We brought that forward to our board uh, in July, uh, we edited and changed our, our mission statement to make clear that uh, equity and, and equitable um, is, is, you know, central to what we are trying to promote in our healthcare system, and that um, our, the success of our efforts to have a high-performing healthcare system um, is contingent on it being high-performing and accessible for everyone not just certain populations. And so, you know, with that um, commitment and that public statement, uh, it's, it's about getting to work and how do, you, how do you change the work to reflect that commitment? So um, we've gone through every, uh, we are going through a process of evaluating every project, every program, every data asset, 
uh, that we that the Health Policy Commission um, administers and has access to, and reconceiving of it and challenging ourselves to say how does this fit within uh, the broader uh, conversation around um, advancing equity, and and as I said, challenging ourselves to um, to to change and pivot and adapt. And, you know, as an example um, of, of that, that kind of challenging, uh, data is a huge part of this, this story, especially in healthcare. And when uh, we don't have the right data to even allow us to understand the disparities in how uh, people experience and interact with the healthcare system, we're not gonna be able to truly understand uh, both the drivers of it and the solutions to it. And I think, unfortunately, there's been uh, too much of a, a willingness sometimes to say, okay, well, if that data set doesn't have race and ethnicity data in it, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll just move forward and, and we'll do the R analyses on, on some of these other variables. And, and I think the question now is, well, why, why isn't that data included? And what can we do along with our sister agencies to and and the marketplace to say um, how do we how do we build the right types of of, of data and programs and commitment uh, and not just accept uh, some of the limitations um, that hinder our ability to make equity a central part of our work. Okay, yeah, shifting gears just a little bit, and we're always steering close to COVID nineteen because it is so pervasive in its impacts. So we know that some of the biggest beneficiaries financially from this crisis have been the health insurance companies nationally. Uh, in Massachusetts, we recently learned that insurers have received approvals for 8% average increase in premiums for renewal starting this January. Um, is there something we're missing here? Uh, if they're doing so well financially, why are we seeing this significant increases and what impact will this have? Do you have any uh, thoughts about that? I think, you know, the numbers are troubling. Um, seeing, you know, an average of 8%, seeing some plans with double digit premium increases uh, raises a lot of questions, uh, and, uh, you know, for, for you and for the public, um, because we know that there will be um, windfalls, uh, financial windfalls for many health plans in the current fiscal year due to uh, the dynamics that we've already been talking about. And I understand that uh, health plans may be conservative in their act, you know, analysis of what may happen next year and, and that they are doing an analysis of, of what they expect healthcare spending to be in 2021, not 2020. And I understand that there are mechanisms to potentially share those uh, excess you know, windfalls with consumers at some point uh, through rebates. But the reality is, is none of that will help uh, residents who are trying to afford health insurance on January 1st and seeing a significant increase or a small business that's trying to sign up for health insurance and trying to hold on to their ability to maintain health insurance for their, uh, their employees. Um, so, you know, I think there are important questions that still need to be to re-raised here. Um, I have all the confidence in, in the division of insurance that, that oversees this process uh, for their role in, in reviewing rates in, in a portion of the market. Um, but 
I, I, I still hope I, that the health plans understand uh, that uh, perhaps now is not the time to be overly conservative in these estimates when so many providers, patients, families, and businesses are struggling. And so this is, this is a topic we will certainly be focused on uh, moving forward into to next year and to try to understand uh, the intersection between decreases in healthcare spending in 2020 and increases in premiums in 2021. I think that's, that's very, um, it's a, a hard story to tell to the public and, and rightfully so. Well, David, maybe you'll have even a little bit more opportunity, at least you and the commissioners later this month, because this is October and it's uh, cost trends hearing month in, in HPC world. And while you won't be at Suffolk Law School, you'll be online. Uh, there'll still be a lot of people, I, well, certainly John and I will be two of them, you know, tuning in uh, uh, on, on the internet. So what should we expect to learn this year? And uh, what will we hear about at these years, this year's hearings? So every year, the Health Policy Commission hosts uh, an annual summit uh, on healthcare costs, healthcare spending, healthcare topics. We call it our annual cost trends hearings. Usually an in-person two-day affair uh, with many speakers and panels. So this year, we are doing things a little bit differently, uh, as you might imagine, Paul and John. Uh, we're doing a virtual event. Uh, it's on October 20th. You can find information about it on our website. And we're going to have a more focused event this year uh, with a, a half-day event, really talking about all of the issues and questions that you have been raising with me today. Uh, the impact of COVID on our healthcare system, uh, the, assessing uh, equity and how we have a more equitable healthcare system moving forward, and the disproportionate impact of COVID on uh, uh, communities of color. And so we're really pleased that we'll have a great speaker, Dr. David Williams, a, a internationally known um, uh, social scientist uh, on, and, and an expert on social influences. Uh, Governor Baker will be providing some remarks as well. And we'll have uh, really two panels with uh, new and new perspectives and new voices about uh, how their organizations or how they themselves uh, felt the impact of COVID. And, and not just to have, a, in, in addition to, I think, a necessary reflection, also a conversation about the future. How do we build a more resilient and uh, healthcare system, an innovative healthcare system uh, on the other side of, of this pandemic? And, and how can we take some of the incredible lessons learned, uh, both good and ill, from this experience and, and use them to, to, to strengthen and build a better healthcare system. I think of things like, like telehealth, uh, and I, 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 I am heartened by the promise of being able uh, to use technology in new ways to extend access to care. Um, I, I was heartened by the use of um, different types of workforce that became so important in, in delivering care. Uh, and, and how can we take those, again, those lessons learned and apply them to the future will be, I think, a big part of the conversation at the cost trends hearings this year. David, one thing I, I haven't heard you say, at least so far, but has been often a, a conversation at the cost trends hearings and at HBC board meetings, is the issue of hospital payment rates, which often on the commercial side vary significantly based on market size and power. We haven't heard a lot of discussion about that issue Lately, is it gone for good or, uh, or only a little bit more of a back burner because of COVID right now? Your, your thoughts about that? 
The underlying variation in payment rates for hospitals, as you know, Paul, um, is very clear from the academic literature is, is uh, not necessarily correlated with the quality of care that's being delivered or even the complexity of care. It, it is most tightly correlated with the market leverage and the size of those organizations. And that has created um, you know, an imbalance in, in not just the Massachusetts healthcare system. This is a US healthcare system uh, dynamic um, with uh, the private market negotiating power of, of providers and health plans. And so this issue has not gone away. We have, I, I think it's fair to say, not seen any significant reduction in that variation over the last you know, eight years uh, since the benchmark was, was put into to place. It does not appear to be an issue that um, fixes itself. Um, and, and yet policy solutions are uh, difficult to find consensus on. As, as you might imagine, this topic exposes uh, divisions within, uh, within the hospital community um, and, and divisions within policymakers about what is the best and right approach and role for government uh, interacting with the market to try to um, better align uh, higher payment with higher indices of value. And so I don't think this is off of our radar for very long, Paul. Um, because uh, as we move forward, I can hypothesize a scenario where many of the hospitals um, and biggest health systems may uh, seek to recoup, uh, understandably, uh, their financial losses from COVID uh, through negotiating higher uh, payment rates. And will those, will those precious dollars go to the biggest systems or will they go to the smaller hospitals? Uh, will we actually see uh, a greater divergence in some of these payment rates moving forward when the pressure is on and the pie is only getting smaller? Um, so I think this is a topic we continue need to have uh, a lot of vigilance around. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you're going to have a lot of vigilance on, on, on that topic. You know, last year's cost runs hearings, you had a whole panel on the issue of waste in the healthcare system. And coming out of that discussion was a desire, I know, from a lot of the commissioners to take on issues of waste. How's that going? And what have you learned this last year? So we identified, and by waste, I think what you're referring to and what we were working on was really some of the kind of administrative side of healthcare of our U.S. healthcare system that provide a tremendous amount of burden and, and don't appear to provide very much value. Uh, think of things like uh, all of the Byzantine bill claims processing rules and prior authorization rules and utilization controls, all of which, you know, uh, came from probably a, a, a rational reason to be implemented, but over time have been layered on, and layered and layered on top of each other uh, and requirements and for providers and for patients. It's so incredibly confusing and so incredibly burdensome. And at the same time, it adds more costs into the healthcare system. So we said, let's, let's try to understand where some of these areas are and see if we can at least begin a conversation about how to have a more rational way of actually administering healthcare that, that benefits providers, that doesn't burn them out, that still you know, has proper controls and, and oversight where necessary uh, and makes it easier for patients to navigate the system. Um, and what we saw is that there's there's just a tremendous amount of variation about how different health plans apply some of these different types of tools. And I'll just give a very 
brief example. We looked at uh, a, a small set of 26 orthopedic procedures, and we looked at all of the prior authorization rules uh, for eight different health plans for those sets of procedures. And there was not a single procedure of all 26 um, where that was either consistently required or prior authorization was consistently exempted. And in fact, there was absolutely no consistency across the eight health plans and what their requirements were for these set of, of procedures that everyone could probably know and understand. And so if you're a provider trying to navigate this system, you have eight different sets of rules, um, depending on what insurance card that patient has in their pocket. And, and that doesn't seem to be providing very much value on a system-wide basis. And I'm sure each health plan uh, and would probably say they've designed their, their best version of this program. Um, but when you take it all into account, there's got to be a better way to do some of these things. And we're talking about billions of dollars of just added expense that are, isn't being used for, for patient care in a way that we, we think provides value. Um, this is an ongoing conversation and, and priority for the Health Policy Commission. I will be honest, uh, uh, the COVID impact uh, makes this a, a challenging conversation in some ways because um, everyone is stretched so thin in terms of their uh, the demands on their operations, um, and, and people have made absolutely extraordinary accommodations. And I, I, I want to hear credit the health plans for, for many of the accommodations that they've made. Um, but this is, this is an area that is a, a perennial issue and, and one that I think Massachusetts can lead on in ways that bring people to the table together and find common solutions. It's not about picking on one side or the other, but really about putting the patient at the center and saying, how do we build a system that's going to work best for, for that patient? So, um, David, one of the hot topics that you've been pulled into by the legislature is the issue of rising costs of prescription drugs. And you were directed by the legislature to engage with the drug companies, uh, start a conversation public and private what are you learning? What is going on? How is this unfolding as you get deeper into it? So prescription drug spending has been one of the, the key drivers of healthcare spending in the last uh, few years. Uh, we've seen um, increases above benchmark spending uh, for a few years in a row now. And, uh, and so the governor um, and the legislature came together on a, a pretty innovative new state solution uh, that has at its core um, both the MassHealth, the Medicaid program, uh, looking at certain high cost drugs and being able to negotiate directly with drug manufacturers on uh, potential um, financial relief uh, for those in the form of rebates. And if those negotiations fail, uh, MassHealth has the opportunity to actually refer a drug to the Health Policy Commission. So the Health Policy Commission can do an objective assessment of the value of that drug and the pricing of that drug uh, in relation to that value. So this is, this is a new ground for the HPC in terms of understanding how value assessments are conducted uh, both by many different organizations in the United States and across the, the country. And, and while we have not yet received a referral of, uh, of a pharmaceutical drug from us, um, we've been using this time since that law passed to uh, really educate our, our, ourselves as a staff, as a board, 
uh, on, on this, this important part of the market about how um, pricing works and uh, wholesale costs work and a whole new set of, of acronyms and also to really engage deeply with the broader stakeholder community, including the drug manufacturers to understand, uh, you know, how they view this process. Uh, talk to, you know, talking to patient groups, really important to have patient voices at the table whenever we're talking about the value of drugs and what that means, you know, of, and, and also uh, clinicians, of course, you know, so we're, we're really trying to build a transparent process that can have the confidence of, of many different stakeholders when that time comes for us to do uh, an objective review. Um, as we know that these um, may be, um, you know, may be controversial. Um, and, and so, and this is, is new ground for Massachusetts. So a lot of behind the scenes work, uh, a lot of work with the broader community to uh, make sure that we're prepared to do our part uh, to the standard of the HPC when that time comes. David, beyond the benchmark, if the HPC is known for anything, it includes its review of proposed major market transactions that could have cost growth implications. And in late 14, the HPC's review ultimately was instrumental findings that led a local judge to, re to reject that pur purchase by then Partners Healthcare of South Shore Hospital to go forward, saying it was not in the public's interest because of cost growth. You guys did a very detailed analysis of the proposed Beth Israel Leahy merger, and ultimately the Attorney General used those findings to craft uh, an agreement that allowed that transaction to go forward, but, but put, put in place a number of different conditions tied to the concerns that you identified. We're sitting now waiting for where on Harvard Pilgrim and Tufts Health Plan coming together, something not in your jurisdiction to review. That's really for the, for the DOI. But if you read the, the literature these days, there's a lot of talk nationally about in this COVID era, are we now about to see another onslaught of healthcare system proposed mergers and consolidations uh, resulting in, in part because some uh, actors or providers I say are stronger and some are weaker. But what are your general thoughts about uh, what might happen there, particularly in Massachusetts? Yeah, I think it's always difficult to um, predict the future here, but the signs indicate uh, that we can expect more consolidation. Um, certainly that was the trend before COVID. There has been a, a slight um, a pause in some of those mergers and acquisitions over the last six months uh, as, as organizations have, have rightly focused on the care of, of COVID patients. Um, but this is, was such a disruptive uh, event with long standing implications that um, I think it is, is fair to predict that we will see even more consolidation, new relationships between uh, providers, um, the continued shift away from independent physicians to employed physicians who are, are part of, of bigger health systems. Uh, quickly on that note, we um, did a survey of, of, of physicians in Massachusetts in the summertime uh, and found uh, that physicians were reporting um, significant financial distress due to the disruption and indicated um, a, a much greater interest in either uh, merging with other physicians or being consolidated into a, a major uh, you know, physician system or hospital system. Um, so we, you know, we are already uh, preparing and thinking about what those types of transactions may be and how we might adapt and change our review process 
processes in light of COVID and in light of what the goals of these, or, these transactions may be um, in, a, in a kind of a, a whatever we're calling this part of the, the COVID time period. Uh, so uh, we, will, we will be keeping our, our watchdog eyes uh, closely attuned to all of those dynamics. So, so David, uh, our, our final question, and thanks for staying with us for so long. We only got to about half the things we'd like to talk to you about, but this is terrific. So interesting, 2006 Universal Healthcare Law in Massachusetts uh, became the model nationally embedded into the Affordable Care Act. And the 2012 law that created the Mass Health Policy Commission, states all around the country right now are looking at your model. Uh, Delaware and Connecticut have set up their own versions of the uh, MHPC model. Other states like Colorado and Pennsylvania are looking. I learned that the National Academy for State Health Policy is recommending your model to states all over the country. Um, how do you view the success of this model and what does it say to you about maybe not just Massachusetts, but what's happening around the country right now? So one, it is, it's, it's not my model. This is, this is you know, our model. This is the Massachusetts model. And, and I think other states are always looking to Massachusetts when it comes to healthcare policy. And I think this is another, as you mentioned, in a line of uh, truly remarkable innovations uh, dating back decades. Uh, of which, John, you were a, a part of many of them. Um, I think what's interesting nationally is that uh, we, we were kind of ahead of this cycle in some ways. You know, we tackled the access uh, part of this and had so much tremendous success in 2006. And, and for many states, other states, they really began that journey in 2010 after the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And, and in some cases went through multiple years of, of disruption to the individual markets and stabilization. And I think mo more recently have come to this same um, fundamental and underlying challenge, which is the underlying high cost of healthcare. And what can we do that to, to bend that cost curve? And, and so, you know, pleased to see so many other states be able to, to learn from our, our lessons learned and, and challenges faced. Uh, I, I, um, we think of this as being a part of a, you know, an ecosystem of, of states that help and learn from each other uh, and the innovations in, in many of those other states. Um, but I do want to give absolute credit to, um, the, to be humble about our, our ability to, to share those lessons learned, but also to be proud of the success we've had. And that success to me is, is really driven by our absolutely tremendous board of commissioners who lead the work of the agency, all incredibly nationally recognized uh, leaders. Thank you, Paul, for your service on the commission um, and for the, the staff of the Health Policy Commission who are um, the most brilliant, uh, smartest, uh, most passionate, uh, public servants that uh, I have ever worked with. And so it is, it is through the board, uh, the staff, and, and the commitment to excellence and, and adaptation uh, that I think is, is often at the core of our, our success here in Massachusetts. And, and finally, with, with the community at large. Uh, this is not just government. This is about how 
uh, government works together with healthcare to improve healthcare for everyone. The, the longest podcast we've done, but for those who have sat through this with you, David Seltz, Executive Director of the Health Policy Commission, what an incredible, rich, and thorough uh, understanding you've given our folks. And I know there's more to come at the HPC Cost Trends hearings later this month and beyond. So thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, David. Thanks,